This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good evening. I'm Jane Pauley, and this is Sunday morning on Friday night. We're here tonight for a kind of pet project of ours. Specifically, we'll give thanks to all the pets in our lives and some wild animals as well, with the help of Jaja and Chichi here. It's easy enough to imagine these two back at home with their real forever families, but just how far into the animal kingdom does that welcome mat extend? Martha Teichner looks into it. <laughs> Snacks is one pampered pig. Is she just a little spoiled? <laughs> I have no say in these things. A little bit. <laughs> yes, but he says that, but then for Christmas, he bought a leopard print robe with a magenta boa and a big rhinestone ass. And another human-sized one with a big D on it. So they match. Tim Taylor and Dana Boyle, Snacks' pet parents, that's what they call pet owners these days, don't care if people think they're nuts. I generally fall asleep on the couch with her and sleep there all night. So when we went furniture shopping the last time, we literally said we need something deep enough because I need to be able to spoon with my pig all night. 
Tim and Dana often welcome Squirrel Girl into their New Jersey home as well. Come on. She's not exactly a pet, but close. Do you know? Nearly 85 million American homes are home to pets as well as people. Three out of four dog and cat owners consider their pets members of the family. Pretty obvious from these pictures viewers sent us. Oh, Brody, I know. So, no surprise, there is scientific research proving that your pet is good for your health. When we are in the presence of a pet, our stress levels drop, so you can measure things like cortisol in the bloodstream, and it's lower when you're petting an animal than when you're not. But we also have re uh, research uh, from some really great labs that have shown that when we pet animals, their cortisol goes down as well. Alan McConnell heads the Department of Psychology at Miami University in Ohio. Pet owners compared to non-pet owners, they have higher self-esteem, they tend to get more exercise, they're less lonely. We know that they tend to have lower blood pressure. They can engage with difficult math problems better than people who don't have pets around them. Wait, math problems? Maybe I should have taken my pets to college. <laughs> McConnell's latest work looks at anthropomorphizing, projecting human qualities on pets. What we found is that as people view their pet as a family member to a greater degree, they get more well-being benefits from that. Referring to them as your fur babies? Your mommies are here. <laughs> Not so ridiculous after all. Kayla Clark and Chloe Prieto, a lawyer and a teacher stuck at home because of coronavirus, tried for nearly eight months to adopt a shelter dog. So it's been quite a journey, lots of applications <laughs> that went in. Somebody else always beat them to it, until peanut butter showed up on the website of one of New York City's animal care centers. It was really just meant to be that, you know. Small dogs like Peanut Butter, or Rosie, about to be renamed Daisy. Dog. By Octavia Osman and her daughter Zariah, fly out of shelters. It's the bigger, older dogs that are harder to place, particularly pit bulls. Who hasn't heard that during COVID, everybody's been adopting pets? Not true. Nationally, a survey of nearly 1,300 shelters shows that adoptions were actually down 19% through September compared to last year. That's more than 200,000 animals. But then fewer people have been giving up their pets during the pandemic. A homebound nation has been a bonanza for Chewy.com. With 60,000 products available online, it's like Amazon, but for pet food and supplies. It now has 18,000 employees, 11 distribution centers, pharmacies, veterinary telemedicine, and 17 million customers. We added more than 4.5 million active customers to the platform. Just since COVID. Sumit Singh, the proud parent of D here, he loves coming to work. is CEO of Chewy. Think about it this way. The pet industry in 2020, food and supplies will grow roughly $3.5 billion. Chewy will grow $2 billion off that $3.5 billion. 
in a $100 billion dog-eat-dog business, pun intended, Chewy.com tries to win loyalty. This is, this is my dog. This is D. By doing things like surprising customers randomly with a hand-painted portrait based on the picture they've uploaded to their pet's profile. When this a portrait shows up to your doorstep unannounced, total surprise and delight. Something to stare at fondly whenever you're not fulfilling your duty as a member of your pet's staff. Go get it. They've got your number. Slinky's got mine. Talk about people loving their animals. Ahead, Lee Cowan chats with Michael J. Fox about the rescue dog who rescued him. David Pogue introduces us to animals making a splash online. Seth Doan visits with Bindi Irwin, carrying on in the footsteps of her late father, animal conservationist Steve Irwin. Tracy Smith looks into why some people are trying to cheat death by cloning their beloved pets and more. It's our pet project on this Sunday morning on Friday night. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to Sunday morning's pet project. It's easy enough to imagine Jaja here as an online video star. And as David Pogue shows us, she'd have plenty of company. Behold, the world's first cat video made by Thomas Edison in 1864. Nobody knows how many likes it got. Since that pioneering masterwork of feline film, viral pet videos have become a cliche of the internet. But as the internet matures, something funny is happening to viral pet videos. He just really didn't believe in himself. Something funny and something wonderful. You know, when we started the company, there was kind of pure fluff, which is, you know, just kind of silly cat videos. We were almost laughing at the cat. Izzy Lehrer founded thedodo.com in 2014. Today, its animal videos get 5 billion views a month. They're heartwarming short videos about animals that overcome abuse or medical problems. She's born with deformities and is deaf. Or who find joy in interspecies relationships. We really try to highlight things like animal emotion, expressiveness, agency, point of view, spontaneity, and sort of all the things that make animals uh, human. And it's not all just for people to go, ah, right? There's an no. activism element. Activism is not the word I would use necessarily. So we could be changing people's minds about stereotypes related to pit bulls. Yes. Oh, or we could be actually getting animals adopted, or we could be raising donations for, for certain sanctuaries. Online pet videos no longer exist only for our passive viewing pleasure. We're starting to get involved with the animal's welfare. I would say that the goal of my early internet days was to just make people laugh in whatever way possible. Matt Nelson is the creator of We Rate Dogs, social media accounts that post hilarious daily profiles of wacky and lovable dogs. This is Darla. She commenced to snooze mid-meal. 13 out of 10. He writes every caption himself, and he rates every dog at least 12 out of 10. This is Manny. He hasn't seen your croissant. 13 out of 10. The first time I said 11 out of 10, 
people kind of lost their minds. Nelson started We Rate Dogs as a Twitter account in college. And when it took off, he dropped out to manage the account full time. Today, We Rate Dogs has 9 million followers. And hopeful owners send him pictures of over a thousand dogs a day. Philanthropy wasn't on my radar because it was meant to just make you smile and laugh. We hit it. But one day in 2016, Nelson featured a senior pug who needed $700 for a doggy wheelchair. So up to 453 donors. It was really an experiment to see what my audience would do, how they would react. Uh, and they raised that money in like 45 minutes. So we went from 99 to 160 donors. Thus began the weekly We Rate Dogs fundraising appeal for dogs who need medical care. What? Every single Friday. Oh my God. For the last three years. Every single campaign we've ever posted has been fully funded. There it is. Is Bullet handy? Is Bullet uh, nearby? He's right here. <laughs> I can see why you love him. He's a goofball. He's really special. This goofball's name is Bullet. His human is Casey Freund. So he has a condition called kyphosis, and essentially the vertebrae, instead of being like little rectangles, they're little triangles. Bullet could barely walk. But Freund found a neurologist who was willing to attempt the nine-hour surgery. The bill? $12,000. I was about to put it all on my credit card. <laughs> I was just going to put myself into debt over it. And then We Rate Dogs saved me from that. So one day, they post Bullet's story on We Rate Dogs. What happens? Oh, so it was actually, it was so fast. They had the story posted within an hour. And within an hour after that, all the money had been fundraised. What? Yeah. <laughs> and I was in tears, because it's amazing when that kind of thing happens and you don't expect it. So we posted Bullet uh, over a year ago now. And I believe the most recent update uh, we got is a video of him sprinting down a field. I mean, Matt, you did that. My audience did that. Really, every week is just a tiny little miracle that my audience uh, comes together to perform. For the Dodo's Izzy Learer, going to work every morning means getting those audiences involved and maybe even cheering them up. <laughs> I think it does make people happier. Um, you know, my whole life I've kind of been made fun of for loving animals so much and, oh, you're so emotional. But at the same time, you know, when you really get people one-on-one, -on -one, most people really love animals too. Few public figures have done more to bring the world of exotic animals into our homes than the late TV conservationist Steve Irwin. It's a mission, Seth Doan tells us, that his family pursues to this day. This family has always worked from home. Awesome. How cool is that? Even before lockdowns but there's no shortage of space or things to do. What with 700 acres and 1,200 animals. That was awesome! This is not your typical family business to take over. It is, it is pretty wild. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> we yeah. love it. You never and know what, what the day is gonna bring, that's for sure. Mm. 
Australia Zoo is not just home, but life mission of the Irwin family. Mom Terry, her kids 16-year-old Robert and 22-year-old Bindi, and Bindi's new husband, Chandler. We have been incredibly grateful that we've been given this unique opportunity to be able to do what we love, which is cuddle animals all day, but then also take it to a new level of educating people on how to make a difference in the world. Their surname was made famous and synonymous with animals by Steve Irwin. Crikey. He was the energetic TV conservationist who seemed to almost jump through the screen. Terry, as an American tourist visiting his zoo, first spotted her husband-to-be wrangling a crocodile, his signature. Their adventures together never slowed. You know, if there was a whale stranding in Tasmania, he'd be like, we're leaving in an hour, we're going to film for three weeks, and we got to tell this story. Steve told those stories until 2006, when he was killed by a stingray in a freak accident. Bindi, just eight, but already comfortable in the spotlight, spoke at his memorial service. I don't want Daddy's passion to ever end. I want to help endangered wildlife just like he did. Eulogizing her dad, capturing hearts, and since then, continuing what he started. It's so good to see you. How often do you think about Steve? Oh, my goodness. Every day, every minute of every day, it's almost... Like, every day is a tribute to his life. Was there ever any doubt that this was going to be your life's work? Did you ever think of being in insurance or a lawyer or something else? No, I think for both of us, we've always just had such a huge passion for wildlife and for conservation. I remember the first time we ever got to feed a croc, Bindi was 10 years old, and then when I turned 10 a few years later, it was the, the rite of passage for me. Because that's know, you, good parenting. Exactly. Their TV show, Crikey, It's the Irwins on Animal Planet, chronicles their efforts to educate and expose people to the wonders of the animal world. Through your work, you talk about trying to create this connection between people and animals. But how do you find that balance? They are still wild animals. The respectful and responsible appreciation for wildlife through tourism is really what's going to save us. Is that some watermelon? Their message is resonating. Bindi not only has four million Instagram followers, but this. Yay, Bindi Barbie! Yes, there's a Bindi Barbie doll. Good on Barbie for, for standing up for wildlife conservation. It's serious work that funds a wildlife hospital they opened in 2004. In that first year, they treated 64 animals. Now they'll see more than that every single day. Robert showed us around via video chat. Uh, it's kind of the, the, the daily work that happens here at the Australia Zoo Wildlife Hospital. That's a koala on the operating table. The habitat for koalas are dwindling and they're kind of isolated to smaller islands. And at this point, disease spreads very, very fast. The hospital was inundated during the devastating bushfires earlier this year, which burned more than 20% of Australia's forests and killed as many as 3 billion, yes, billion animals. But then on top of that, it's this huge knock-on effect that we're going to feel for decades to come. Uh, for so many species, they rely on these beautiful large areas of natural habitat. 
Then the pandemic brought another challenge, keeping all of this going without visitors, their main source of revenue, and some very big bills. Just the animal food was $80,000 a week. They finally reopened after 78 days. G'day, how's it going? I was yeah. shocked by how much our animals missed oh, everybody. Our animals were just as excited to see everyone back at Australia Zoo yeah. as we were. The koalas were basically jumping out of the trees <laughs> to see us. Chandler Powell married into the family this past spring after a pitch-perfect courtship, which, no surprise, involved a crocodile. Go. I knew that that was the man I was going to marry. Their engagement and wedding were all documented on their show. Now they're expecting a baby girl. She already has some sort of little safari shirt. She does. She does. She has yeah. her very own khaki because we always say that khaki is not just a color, it's an attitude. It's not your typical family business, but it's my favorite line of work. The Irwins are carrying on Steve's legacy and apparently inherited his affinity for having so much of their lives broadcast hoping their love of animals might just inspire yours. And now some breaking news. President-elect Joe Biden and his wife Jill won't just be bringing their German shepherds, Major and Champ, to the White House. The Bidens tell us exclusively that soon they'll be joined by a cat. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? <laughs> Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The first family-to-be follows a long White House tradition, as Mo Rocca will remind us throughout the night, starting now. When the Kennedy family moved into the White House, they brought with them youth, an abundance of charm, and plenty of pets. They've got multiple dogs. They've got Tom Kitten, the cat, parakeets named Bluebell and Maybell. Alan Price is director of the John F. Kennedy Presidential Library and Museum in Boston. He says Americans were instantly taken with the family's four-legged members. How many American kids wanted a pony after seeing Caroline with macaroni? Uh, everybody wants a pony after that. But it was a gift from Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev, a glamorous dog named Pushinka that set tongues wagging. Arriving with her own passport, Pushinka was the offspring of Soviet space dogs. Is she fluffy? She is definitely a fluffy dog. Does she have a sense of humor? She's from the Soviet Union. 
I don't know. Uh, I don't think we have that recorded as well as we might. She was fetching enough to catch the eye of Charlie, the Kennedy's roguishly handsome Welsh terrier. They have four beautiful puppies together, and life is good. The president dubbed the offspring Pupniks, and to some, this furry first family melted hearts during a particularly frosty period. I have directed the continued and increased close surveillance of Cuba and its military buildup. Do you think that that helped sort of thaw the cold at a very tense time? It is a very tense time, and that human connection is tangible, it's real. And it's part of a presidential story that captured our collective imagination. When President Kennedy is assassinated, these pets become a big part of the memories that America holds of a time that ends so abruptly. One of the cutest and rarest of creatures most likely will never find a place in our homes, but it does have a very secure place in our hearts. Rita Braver lays it out in black and white. His Chinese name, Xiao Qiji, means little miracle, and this giant panda cub, born at the Smithsonian's National Zoo last August, was destined to be a star. Is it true that there were so many people watching this as it started to happen, that the panda cam crashed? Oh yes, word got out very quickly that something was going on. You know, everyone was home. It was in the middle of a pandemic. Everyone was watching. <clears throat> and it was something positive that was going on. So yeah, everyone wanted to see the birth. And Lori Thompson, who helps run the panda program here, says the world kept watching as mother Mei Zhang nursed the baby from a hairless blob into a cuddly cub. Oh my gosh. Xiao Qi Ji won't meet the public for a while. What a cutie. But earlier this month, we got a rare look through glass as Thompson and Chief Vet Donald Neifer performed their weekly exam. Oh, no. And we touch all the limbs, stretch out the joints. He's growing gangbusters. He looks great. At 22, the cub's mom, Mei Zhang, is now the oldest panda in North America to birth a healthy cub. She's geriatric for a panda, and so we were not necessarily expecting a cub. One reason there are so few pandas in the world is that females are in heat just a couple of days a year. In fact, Mei Zhang in the zoo's male panda, Tian Tian, made Xiao Qi Ji and his three older siblings through the wonders of modern science. She's always been artificially inseminated. Yes. They've never been able to sort of figure it out. They try, but they have lots of issues with that. This time, they didn't even bother Tian Tian, using his five-year-old frozen semen in order to minimize contact among the zoo staff during the pandemic. How did you learn about the new baby? They did send me an email saying, uh, congratulations, uh, you're the father of a new baby panda. 
well, fairy godfather at least. David Rubenstein, a Washington businessman and philanthropist, has helped bankroll the pandas since 2011. He's watched with cautious pride as research developed here helped move pandas from the endangered to the vulnerable list in 2016. You only have about 2,500 of these pandas in the world, so while they're not, quote, endangered, they're not actually in abundance either. The pandas at the National Zoo and everywhere outside China are actually on loan from the Chinese government. Call it pandiplomacy. I do think that the U.S. has done a very good job in working with the Chinese to make certain that we will have more pandas for quite some time. Like his older brothers and sister, Xiao Qiji will be sent to China after a few years. But in the meantime, he will be a constant reminder of the need to preserve his whole species. People aren't going to save and conserve what they don't know and don't understand. And so if nothing else, this panda grows up to continue to say, we're out here, you know, please take care of us while you can. There are celebrity pets, and then there are celebrity pet lovers, like Michael J. Fox. Here's Lee Cowan. It's been 35 years since a bolt of lightning sent Michael J. Fox back to the future. Hill Valley's clock never really recovered. The movie prop's hands are still stuck at 10.04, but the clock has been taken down from the perch that made it famous. Where are you going? We are at the Courthouse Square on the Universal lot. Oh, yeah, this is a big thing. We thought it was a perfect place to chat with Fox, now 59. Oh, there he is, about the other jolt in his life. His beloved dog, Gus. How old is he now? Twelve. He's pretty much a mutt. Great Dane-ish, Fox calls him. That's his nose in Fox's latest book, No Time Like the Future, where Gus is featured prominently. You know that no matter what your situation, no matter what you what you feel that this animal is with you and it's connected to you and, and you feel it's a, it's a force multiplier. Gus has been by Fox's side almost half as long as Fox has been battling Parkinson's disease. Some days are better than others. This one was somewhere in between. It's very, it's very come and go. It's on and off, literally on and off. Good days, bad so, days. Yeah, today I'm relatively on, but I'm, I'm touch too much medication because it's different every day. You, you get what you get. What he got two years ago was a tumor that had to be removed from his spinal cord. But when he returned home in a wheelchair, Gus was waiting. And he kind of circles the wheelchair with his little kind of whoop, 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 whoop. And, and sat in front of the wheelchair, sat in front of me, and looked at me, and I said, it's going to be okay. Dogs just seem to get when you're not at your best, right? When you're not feeling right. I, I know what, the, what Gus he does. He knows that there's something different about me. And you know, your, your instinct when, you're, when you have chronic illness is, is sometimes to isolate and to, and, to, and to make your world as small as possible so you there's much to deal with. But a dog will open you up. He swears the reason people stop to talk to him during walks in Central Park is because of Goss, not because he's Michael J. Fox. I'm Archie. I'm not a normal dog. What is clear is Fox's voice... Doesn't get more romantic than this. 
Am I right? Is the perfect fit for a movie doll. What's the matter, Sassy? You get up on the wrong side of the litter box? You kind of hope that if dogs could talk, they'd have Fox's sense of comic timing. Right, but I gotta shred it into teeny tiny little pieces and I bleedy. I swallowed a button. In Central Park, you'll find a bench with a plaque. For Mike Fox and Gus, it reads, True New Yorkers. Fox's wife, Tracy Pollan, gave it to him for his birthday. A reminder that Gus is every bit as human as anyone else who sits on a bench. Their walks together mean more than most of us will ever really know, especially as Fox's walking gets harder. But he's not focused on the future. He's learned to be in the moment. Oh. <laughs> Moments like this one, where the restorative power of a slobbery kiss really says it all. That's the best. Known as Silent Cal, President Calvin Coolidge was a man of few words, but many pets. The Coolidges were known for being animal lovers. Which is why people sent them animals as presents. Says Andrew Hager, historian in residence at the Presidential Pet Museum. Harvey Firestone, the tire magnet, gave him a pygmy hippo. Others gave lion cubs, a black bear, even a wallaby. Yes, the Coolidge White House was really hopping. But while most of those were shipped off to the zoo, there was an unlikely exception. One of Calvin Coolidge's supporters from Mississippi decided to send the Coolidge's a Thanksgiving dinner. And what he sent them was a live raccoon. Andrew, have you ever tried raccoon? I have not tried raccoon. <laughs> I have. Tastes like chicken. But for the Coolidge's, that idea was off the table. They decided, well, we're going to keep her instead. So Coolidge gave her a name, Rebecca. And then he gave her some bling. So Rebecca had jewelry. Yeah, she had a handmade collar, actually, and it said White House Raccoon on it. Now, the press was pretty rough on Rebecca. The Cleveland Plain Dealer called her the most obstreperous of all Coolidge's pets. That, that is tough, to be called obstreperous. Tougher still were the tabloid rumors. What do we know about Rebecca's love life? <laughs> well, they got her a male raccoon named Reuben, but Rebecca and Reuben did not get along at all. Rebecca Coolidge finally left the White House, along with the rest of the family, in 1929, but not without leaving her mark on presidential pet history. When you go back and you look at the pets that presidents have had since Coolidge, there's nothing quite as unusual as a raccoon. Sad to think that time will inevitably take our beloved pets from us. But do we have to let them go? Here's Tracy Smith. What happens when it hurts too much to say goodbye? Marley, come here, buddy. <laughs> the wrong way. David and Alicia Shearhart adored their yellow lab, Marley, but they never knew just how much until that day back in 2014 when they were hiking with him in these hills near their San Diego home. It was a little steeper than we had anticipated, and so Alicia went off the path to grab a, a walking stick to help do the path. And 
Marley all of a sudden just like darted from me and he started clawing the ground where Alicia was reaching for a walking stick. And, and I didn't know what was happening and Alicia kind of fell back. But then when I looked more closely, I saw it was a, a rattlesnake. Rattlers like this guy are common on these trails. But for the Shearhearts, a snake bite out here could have been a real disaster. This trail is incredibly steep. It's miles from any hospital. The Shearhearts didn't have their phones on them. And Alicia was four months pregnant. Thankfully, 12-year-old Marley scared the snake away. And a few months later, the Shearhearts' first daughter, Maddie, was born. Marley had saved my family, you know. And we got emotional that time and just, just realized how lucky we were that he had done that in that moment. But by then, Marley'd been diagnosed with cancer. And by Thanksgiving weekend, 2014, it was clear the end was near. I just remember the last thing you said to him was, you know, you could just come saying thank you for being the best dog. And I was just crying. Yeah, <laughs> And holding was. his hand. Right, everything he did, you know, was just... Uh out of love. And their love for Marley was so strong, they couldn't really let go. So the Shearhearts turned to Viagen Pets of Austin, Texas, a company that has cloned hundreds of pets for a multitude of grateful owners, including one Barbara Streisand. You helped Barbara Streisand clone her dogs? We did, yes. Her dog had passed away, and I think that she had known about what we do, and we were able to get samples um, very quickly, and there were actually more than one puppy born. Spokesperson Melaine Rodriguez says it works like this. Your vet takes a tissue sample from your pet and sends it off to Viagen. And for as much as $50,000, you heard right. The company will culture the cells, create embryos, implant them in a surrogate, and deliver a clone of your loved one. But animal rights groups say forcing dogs and cats to be surrogates for clones is simply inhumane. And you know that the Humane Society says that pet cloning should be outlawed. I, I understand that. They're certainly entitled to their opinion. We have a lot of clients that would be very upset if that were the case. So. Um, we get positive feedback continually, um, wonderful uh, notes of appreciation that our clients are so happy that this is something that we provide. And happy is the operative word here. This is Marley's clone, Ziggy, a yellow ball of exuberance. But to David and Alicia Shearhart, he's nothing less than Marley reborn. You know, they rang the doorbell <laughs> with the dog and I just stood there with my mouth open for like five minutes because I just couldn't believe how exact he looked. He's almost like an exact replica? He is exactly the twin, uh, twin of Marley. He's in, I guess, the same environment. So really, he's become the same dog. And while pet cloning is still controversial, it can mean, for some at least, five. that with the right amount of love, science, and money, you never really need to say goodbye. Perhaps no presidential family had more fun than Teddy Roosevelt's. 
at the White House and here at historic Sagamore Hill, the family's longtime retreat in Long Island, New York, Theodore Roosevelt's six kids grew up with no fewer than 40 animals. Nearly every dog had its day at the Roosevelt's. Jack the Terrier was so revered he was given his own funeral service. Park Ranger Scott Gurney and I paid observance at Sagamore Hill's Pet Cemetery. If your name is on that rock, you're something special. And special pets were given special names. Josiah the Badger was a real honey. Eli the Macaw was a standout. And Peter Rabbit kept the place jumping, as did Fierce, the family's one-legged rooster. But the adorable little furballs named after local dignitaries caused some confusion. Two of the kids come rushing in, oh, father, father, Bishop Doan has had children upstairs in the bed. Now they have to explain to the guests that Bishop Doan is in fact a guinea pig. Surprisingly, the Roosevelts didn't own a bull moose. What's not surprising is that the man known as the conservation president would see the value in raising his children around animals. He thought having a pet would teach that child responsibility and the empathy that it requires to take care of another being. Case in point, when Archie Roosevelt was lying sick on an upper floor of the White House, youngest brother Quentin brought their pony Algonquin up for a visit via the new White House elevator. That's a fun family. Uh, Ted, the oldest son, phrased it, we were expected to have fun, and we did. Moraka on presidents and their pets. As our loyal viewers know, we begin each Sunday morning with a trumpet fanfare. And tonight, we thought we'd end on the same note, this time with accompaniment. I'm Jane Pauley. Our thanks to Chi-Chi and Jaja. We hope you've enjoyed our pet project and hope you'll join us this and every weekend for Sunday morning. You got a friend in me When the road looks rough ahead And you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed You just remember what your old pal said If you like CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Polly, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.